things today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. We are on Hebrews on Wednesday nights, and this is not just a shameless way of trying to get more people out on Wednesday night study. That's not the reason. But uh, it's an important passage that we're going to look at today. It applies to every single one of us. And since we're doing it on Wednesdays, the Lord laid it on my heart to use it last night in communion, but I also think it's important for us as a body to look at this. It was funny, uh, Nate Holdridge, you know, our, our speaker for the weekend, uh, we were going through uh, Nehemiah 8 through 13, if you're familiar with those chapters, that some of them are pretty long, there's lots and lots of Hebrew names that, you know, anybody can, you know, you can try to pronounce them or try to mispronounce them, they kind of all sound the same anyhow, and, uh, but uh, because in Hebrew, in Hebrew, in Nehemiah 8, uh, we read there that Ezra read from the word, and the people stood for six hours while they read from the word, right? So I'm going to have you stand. We stood. We stood every single chapter he read. We, we stood there for six minutes. They, they stood for six hours. But we can stand now. So would you stand, please? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore... We must give more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. Father, speak to us this morning. Remind us of what our first love was like. And to each one of us, Lord, we've all had some element of drift in our lives. And you're calling us back to you. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. See how easy that was? You can be seated. So the exhortation is, we must wake up or we will drift away. You say, it doesn't say wake up. It said, we must give more earnest heed. We better pay attention, is what he's saying. And this has really spoken to me, you know, as I'm going through Hebrews and, and, you know, preparing for Wednesday nights every time, and over the years, every time I would come to this, like, man, that's such a powerful verse. We must give more earnest heed. I think so many of us in the church in America, and I don't say this just because I'm a pastor, I think, you know, I, I see it as my own life. I think we are all subject to this. It's so easy for us to drift, and sometimes the reason that we drift is because we were taught, well, the law, you know, we're not bound by the law anymore. So we live by grace. We walk by grace. We do. But that doesn't mean we're sloppy. It doesn't mean we do what we want to. It's, it's a better covenant. That's the, that's the theme, really. Jesus is better. As you read through Hebrews, 12 times better, better, better. Jesus is better. The better covenant. All these things are better. Not better because we get off the hook. Not better because we get to live any way we want to. Better because there's so much more for us. And we can't go into all that this morning. But this whole idea of paying heed to the things that have been, that have been taught to us, the things that we have in the Word of God, that we're to give heed, that we must do it. It's not, and if you have King James, I think it uses the word ought to. And the way we use ought to in, in our terminology today is, you know, you ought to think about this. You ought to consider this. And that's not what he's saying. We must do it. 
Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He didn't say, yeah, you ought to think about this. It might be worth your while. You know, it might work for you. It's not like that. We must be born again. We must give more earnest heed to these things. Why? Or else we're going to drift away. Drift. There are currents. And, you know, we're familiar with the currents, just the physical currents in the world. For the first time in all the years we've been to Harvey Cedars, I mean, the, the water was so, I mean, it was like placid. Like, what happened to the surf? Every time we tell the guys, well, we're going to get baptized, you know, make your calling and your election sure because, you know, the, the surf's up and all that. And we're not sure if they're all coming back. It was, it was just so placid. But there was a riptide. There's always something. You can, you can look at a river sometimes. It can just be so nice, so placid. But underneath that surface, there's a current. We all know that there's physical currents. You see physical currents. If you're a boater, you know there are physical currents. You can be out fishing. I mean, that's kind of my experience, you know, my younger life, out on a boat with a bunch of other boats, out, you know, on the, on the water. And you don't know that you're drifting because you're all together. You're all just sort of fishing together, and you're moving with the current together. So relative to one another, you're all still in the same place. But if you have a fixed point on the shore, all of a sudden you realize, wow, we've moved quite a great deal. Um, you know what it's like. You go down to the shore, and you set up your chair, put your little blue towel on the chair. There's the lifeguard stand, okay? You, you go in, you put on your floaties or your water wings or whatever it is that you use, you know, and you go into the water. And, 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 and it's so nice, you know, you, you could just, especially, you know, when the, like, like it was this weekend, the water was so warm, and you can just float there. And it's almost like God's giving you a free massage. You just sort of float on the water. And you, it's almost like you, fall, you shouldn't fall asleep. But, you know, it's almost like that sometimes. And then you realize that you kind of, so to speak, wake up. Now, relative to everybody else around you, you're all together. But where's my chair? Where'd my blue towel go? Where's that lifeguard stand and that really large human that was over there next to my chair? Where, where are all these people? Where'd it go? And it's like you look half a mile down the beach, and there it is. We've drifted. I mean, we all know that. It's so simple, what we're talking about here. But it happens. It can happen to, to any one of us. I know it happened. I think I told this a long time ago. Uh, years ago, I mean, like years ago. Was like, what was that, huh? 1990. Um, I, I, you know, I, I spent some years growing up in Long Island, Long Island. And uh, Renee had never been out there and never been out to Montauk Point, which is a really neat area if you've ever been out there. So we went out to Montauk and uh, we're just doing some stuff out there. And it's like, you know what, we should, we should rent a boat. We should go somewhere. So we rented a boat, the, the only boat, I mean, it's, it wasn't really planning this, right? So it's like last minute, okay, let's go see if we can find a boat. Found a boat. The only thing they had left, 18-foot, 90-horse ski boat. And um, it's like, yeah, that's cool. So we took that out, and if you know where I'm talking about, Montauk Point, so Long Island looks like a fish. And so out at the end of the tail of the fish, you're, you know, it's kind of where Long Island, you know, okay, so New England goes up this way, Long Island goes out this way. This body of water is called Long Island Sound. And then it's the Atlantic Ocean and Europe. <laughs> it's my geography lesson for the morning. And so... Um, so we went out, you know, and it, 
actually it's pretty eventful, but I won't tell you all those stories. And, um, and now Renee, you know, I'm, I'm sure she could have operated the boat, but she never learned how to operate this boat before because, you know, I know how to operate a boat. So, um, so we head on out, kind of where the sound meets the, the great deep. And uh, I don't know if we're at the continental shelf. I don't mean that, but I mean, we're, we're out there. And um, I decided, well, you know, it's the right thing to do. Put down an anchor, right? You don't want to drift out to nowhere. So put down an anchor. It held. Our anchor held. That's a good thing. You want your anchor to hold. And uh, I'd been talking about it the whole time. Like, you know, there's nothing like just diving off the boat and swimming. And uh, so I said, come on, let's do it. Last minute, she said, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I said, All right, fine. You just stay here. I'll, I'll do that. From the, from the time it took to submerge and come back up again, I don't know how far I had moved, but between the tide, the currents between the sound and the ocean and all that, I was moving. I swam for my life. I, I thought, you know, I, I don't want to go to England. I mean, not now. <laughs> I, not like this. It's real easy to get swept up in something you don't realize. It's very easy to get swept up. It's very easy to drift along and then suddenly find yourself in a place where you're moving a lot faster than you ever thought you would. There are these physical currents, but there are also these spiritual currents. Uh, uh, Paul says in uh, Ephesians, you're all familiar with it, Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He made you alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course or the currents. Okay, that's the idea. Same word. You once walked according to the currents of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We can go on, but I mean, that's, that's the main idea I, I want us to see there. We, we once walked there. That was before we were born again. We once walked according to those currents. We did what we wanted to. We thought we were so smart because we were making our own decisions. You know, those of us who, who grew up, you know, in the 60s, 70s, you know, with, uh, we, thought, we thought we really had it figured out because we were wearing long hair or because, you know, we had patches on our jeans. Uh, you know, we were no different than anybody else. All we were doing was ordering off the menu that the enemy was serving up, right? We know that. We've talked about this before. You know, there came a point, we were born again. And I know that, you know, as I speak to you this morning, the vast majority of us in here are born again. There was a point in our lives you came to Christ. Forgiveness of sins. Suddenly you're a new person. The Spirit of God indwells us. I know I'm going to heaven. You know, and everything was, I mean, just wildly different for us. Really, think back. I want you to think back. Do you remember what it was like? Now, I mean, for some of you, you got to dust off some of those marbles. Remember, because it's been a long time. For me, it's 42 years, basically. A lot's happened in 42 years. I mean, I, uh, for me, I got saved 42 years when I got serious about the Lord. It was in 74 when I when I said I trusted Christ. That was the middle of the, the Jesus movement. There were things happening, and some of you are 
young enough, you, you might have heard about it. It's like a history class, you know, when you hear about it. You weren't there for it. Even those of us who were there may not have been aware of, of what was happening up in Saskatoon, in Saskatchewan, the major, you know, awakening that was happening up there. Or uh, at Asbury College on the Asbury campus in Tennessee, the major revival that was happening at the same time. A lot of us weren't aware, but, but in pockets around the country, California, it always seems like something's happening in California, right? Um, but even Philly, it was happening. Imagine that. Denver, there were, there were pockets around the country where the Jesus movement was happening. People were getting saved. Hippies, those of us who had rebelled, and not just hippies. We, some of us were just not such great people. Actually, none of us were, but some of us maybe worse than others. And I remember, you know, being told, you know, Hesley, stop, and you've been brainwashed. Yes. Exactly, I realize, because I, there was so much filth and insanity, stupidity in me, a washing of my brain, a washing of my heart is exactly what I needed, right? And don't look at me like that, because you needed it too. <laughs> and if you don't think you did, I question if you're saved, right? Let's be serious about this. Let's really talk about this, because this is a very serious passage, one verse. Now it's connected to some others. But it's important we get it. There are these physical currents. We're very aware of them. And that's a, a very graphic word. When he says drift, we get drift. We know what drift means. And we understand, but we don't understand all the time, how the spiritual drift occurs. None of us got up one morning and said, you know what, I, I'm going to ruin my life with alcohol today. None of us got up after being saved for two years, five years, ten years, whatever it was, and said, you know what, I'm just going to go out and rob convenience stores, or, or I'm going to destroy my, my marriage and my family through you know, pornography, and we, we don't wake up and decide to do those things. It's incremental. It's always incremental, and, and we could take a lot of time if you wanted to, but we don't have time for it this morning, to talk about the incrementalism of it, how it begins with a decision here, a decision there, and it may not even be a decision to act. It's a decision to consider. I mean, athletes understand that. Athletes understand that if you visualize something, then you, you move, you know, physically, you move through what you've already visualized. Uh, those, I mean, I was, uh, I was in the sales profession for a long time. Sales guys have learned the same thing. Visualize how you're going to do it, and it actually makes it easier to work through. I don't want to waste our time on that, but it, it illustrates the fact that we visualize it, we consider it, and then it becomes an action. And it may just be like, oh, what did I do? And we may never do it again for a long time. But just because we've done it, it becomes easier to do it the next time. And then even easier to do it the next time. And the more we do it, of course, Paul makes the point later on, speaking to Timothy, we find ourselves where we've actually, as believers, have seared our consciences. Like you take a steak and sear it on the grill and get it good and crispy. To do it with your own conscience is a deadly thing. And yet you're still living, you're okay, and hey, I'm saved. 
I'm going to heaven. And you are. None of us woke up and said, I'm going to ruin my life. None of us woke up and said, you know what? I am going to start the deep, the deep, dark backslide. No one says that. So how does it happen? Just what I said. Incrementalism. You know, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago, we were looking at uh, Naaman the Syrian had leprosy. We spent some time talking about leprosy. And what is it? And, you know, leprosy, it's a picture of sin. Uh, it's quite, quite the thing to study in the scripture. And leprosy, when it, when it affects a person, and affects millions of people even today, where, it, where it's most disastrous in a person's body is at the extremities, right? Remember that? At the extremities, the fingertips, the toes, the ears, the nose, even the lips. The places where there's less blood flow, so the temperature is cooler. Now, we, we exalt the concept of cool in our society. Even Christians do. We like cool. We like people to think we're somebody different. And maybe you don't use the word cool, like, hey, I'm cool. But deep down inside, that's, that's, that's the reaction you're looking for from someone else. They think I'm cool. They think I'm like something special, something different. It's just cool. But cool equates to rot in a leper and ultimately death. And that's what happens in a relationship. That's what happens in our relationship with God. B.B. King, different context, but he said it, the thrill is gone. The thrill is gone. Do you remember when you were born again? I'm asking you a question. I mean it. I'm not just preaching. It's not a one-way I'm asking you a question. Do you remember when you were born again? Do you remember what it was like? Most of you apparently don't. Work at it. I want you to work at that right now. Do you remember what you were like? For some of you, it was not because you look like it was 100 years ago, but it feels like 100 years ago maybe to you, right? I mean, really, really, for me, when I think 40-some years ago, that's like when I was a lot younger, that was 100 years. Yeah, now it was like yesterday. But what happened? Why did we drift? You say, I'm not adrift. Okay, good. I'm glad you're not. Can you remember a time when your love for picking up the Bible in the morning was greater than it is today? Serious. Can you remember that? Most of you are afraid to give a head nod because you think I'm gonna judge you. I'll, I'll start. Yeah, I remember. I remember when my love for the Bible, look, I read the Bible for a living. Right, I, I don't know how to put it. That's, that's maybe a weird way for you to hear me say it. I read for a living as a pastor, and I read the Bible for a living. That, that's one of the occupational hazards for pastors, is that our study time can sometimes get confused with our time with the Lord. It's a very dangerous place for, for a pastor to be. It's not about me this morning. I'm just saying that that's something that happens. Can you remember a time when that simplicity before you learned that you had to pray long prayers, like it actually pleased God. When we learned, up, we learned all these religious tricks 
that somehow make us better Christians, but they really don't in God's eyes. He's really looking for the heart, not how clear we can be or how much we preach in our prayers or any of those things. But do you remember a time when your love for the opportunity to just sit down with your Bible and, the, and with the Lord in the morning was just so sweet. And when you read something, you're like, wow, he's speaking to me. I've read this so many times before, but he's speaking to me. He knows exactly what's going on. He really does. It says, it says right here, somewhere in my Bible, it says that the word of God is alive and powerful. Now I can tell you exactly where. But back then it was like, somewhere in here I know it says. The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. And he's doing it. I'm reading and, he, and he's doing it. Remember when you used to love to share the gospel with people, no matter what they said. Do you remember that? What happened? It's called drift. It's called drift. Now we call it maturity because we, we know people like that. The people who were obnoxious like we used to be. And we say, <laughs> Aren't they cute, the baby Christians? They're just so cute. And Jesus said that we should have that attitude as little children, that we should believe all the things that he tells us and simply act on them. See, I'm not just here telling you what to do. That's not my point. I think it's good for us to consider. And that's what I love about what I believe it's Paul. If, you, if you're in the Wednesday night study, you know why. But that's what I think Paul's saying. He uses that pronoun, us. He doesn't say, you guys better get your act together. He's saying, us. Let's go back and read something. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 1. We're just going to look at a few verses here. Because it all fits together. You'll see what I'm getting at. God who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to our fathers by the prophets. Remember, he's talking to Hebrew Christians. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the worlds, or he's made all the ages. That's what it means. Who, speaking of Christ, who being the brightness of God's glory and the express image or the character of God's person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, Christ, had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Think of just the, the yes, I'm sorry, there's no time. But of the majesty on high, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Go to chapter two. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed, like really pay attention. We must give the most earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Drift away. Away from what? Keep going. For if, or the idea is since, since the word 
that was spoken through angels proved steadfast. And we, we don't think about this a lot, but the law that was given to, to Israel, to, to Moses on Sinai, was given by the angels. God used angels as the mediators to bring ten thousands of angels. We read about it in Acts chapter 7 and some other places, uh, Deuteronomy 33, uh, Psalm 68. Anyhow, angels. If the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and take, take note of what he's saying here, and every transgression and every disobedience to what? To the law received a just recompense, a just reward. And they did. Think of Nadab and Abihu. Think of Achan and his sin. Think, think of Dathan and Abiram. Think of how God brought judgment. Say, yeah, I'm glad I'm not under the law. Hmm. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And you're in him. Now wait, therefore we must give the most earnest heed to these things, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and every disobedience received just recompense, look, how shall we escape? Wow, that's a heavy. And you ought to take it heavy, or heavily. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Okay, but, wow, John, you're throwing out a lot of stuff here. What, what are you getting at? Drift, that's what I'm getting at. How did it happen? What causes drift? Because it happens to all of us, and we all in this room know that it has happened to us. I know it has. It's common but it's not excusable. There's a reason for it, but it's not right. It's called sin. We don't see it that way, but it is. What do we do about it? And actually before that, how did it happen? There's a lot of reasons. One is boredom. The first time I ever went to Israel, <laughs> blown away. First time, second time, blown away. Second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, blown away. Now it's been over 30 times I've been there. I'm not bragging. I'm saying, you know, we've done mission trips, we visit people, we do business, so to speak, over there, planning tours, things like that, lead tours. I still love Israel, but I can walk by things in Jerusalem that at one time blew my mind. And now I say, oh yeah, this is from, uh, this is from the second century before Christ, and I can tell you all about it. It doesn't blow my mind anymore. Why? Familiarity. Happens with the Word of God, too. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I know what he's going to teach today. Yeah, yeah. I know what that means. Oh, we know what it means. Yeah, and, and I know the joke he's going to use. Yeah, yeah, I know. People say that about my jokes all the time. But just because you know the jokes I'm going to use, or just because you've read it before and you know it, and it happens to all of us, since when did knowing what it says become the point? The point is doing what it says, isn't it? Haven't we been given the word of God so that we do it? Is God just saying, here, here are my memoirs. Learn about me, and, and I'll catch you later when you get to heaven. It's not his novel. It's his instructions about how to live, right? 
Boredom will do that and it will cause us to begin to, to drift, hurt. And what he said about me, what they did, you know, the way they treated me in that ministry. You know what that person, I think they think this about me. Do you know they think this about you? Yes. Did they say it? Well, no, I never talked to them. I just know. How do you know? Well, because if I was them, oh, so you're the sinner. So we, we, we assume all these things. And I, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing it. Because people hurt people. But the danger is that we begin to allow that to become the reason for us to drift. Because someone didn't handle it right. Maybe I'm not handling it right then. Maybe I'm the one who should be addressing that person, saying, hey, brother, why did you say that? Or why, why did you do that to me? There's something we may be able to really learn there. And to bring healing to that hurt. Boredom. Hurt. Mm. Self-importance. That's a big one in our society, especially in our society today. Because we've been taught all our lives, especially yeah, even, even the boomers, but especially now even the younger ones, because the boomers now have taught you know, our children and their children that they're the most important thing on planet Earth. Self-importance. Actually, the word used to be selfishness. And somewhere along the line, we came to the conclusion that we really are the undiscovered most important person in the world anyhow, and everybody really ought to know that. I mean, I'm, I know I'm joking, but let's face it. The way we think about ourselves sometimes, we think we're really so important. And others just don't get it. And, if, and why? They don't get it. They don't understand me. What happens when we begin to drift? A number of things. Do you remember what it was like when you came into church? When you were, when you were a younger believer? Wow. The songs they sing. I love to worship. It's, it's amazing, the worship. They read the Bible there. They, mean, like, they actually read the Bible. They go through the Bible. They teach the Bible. We loved it. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what it was like? I mean, come on. I, I only got a few hours of sleep. I want to make sure you guys are awake. You're supposed to be awake. I, I got a pass. I really don't, but I'm trying to be awake. Really, though. You know, now we've been here for a while. Say, yeah, look, tell you why, don't sit over there. Look, because when greeting time comes, they're going to want a hug. We don't want a hug. Yeah, but let's sit over here. You know, and suddenly we, now we, we, you know, we think we're maturing. But you know, you watch that banana that you buy that you don't eat right away. It matures, doesn't it? It gets brown and soft. And you don't want to do much with it. Unless you're Steve Feely, who loves to eat brown bananas. He's, he's the joke of the office. Only for that reason. But otherwise, you just take the brown banana, throw it in the freezer, and you make banana bread later on, right? But it's called maturing. And we think that's okay. Again, we look at the younger believers, and we say, aren't they cute? Yeah, worship. 
our time with Jesus. Again, remember what it once was like? How is it today? Because if we're honest, it takes effort to get back to the simple. It takes effort to get back to the simple. It takes effort to get back to that place where you just, you long to hear from God. Something else really suffers. Service. I paid my dues. To whom? Is always the question I have. When I hear people say, you know what, yeah, look, I've been around church for a long time, I paid my dues. To whom did you pay those dues? God, who sent his son to purge you of your sins so that you could be with him forever. So you served in children's ministry for five years or 50 years. And somehow he's satisfied, you got to pass. So we're equal now. <laughs> That's silly. Of course not. No, why do we serve? We serve because we love him. I tithe. Great. No one asked you how much. But I know what Samuel said to King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, when we start to take the world's principles and apply them to our walk, I think we're in a lot of danger. And we begin to drift. There's so much that's at stake here. What's your point, John? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I'm confused, Hessler. What are you getting at? Are you saying that I'm in danger of losing my salvation? No. The whole context, and the reason people get confused about the book of Hebrews, is that he's not speaking about the loss of salvation. He's speaking about the loss of inheritance. Reward. Jesus promises reward for the way that we live as Christians. The Bible says it from the beginning to the end that there are rewards ahead. We don't, we don't earn heaven. Heaven is a gift. But we receive reward on the basis of how we've served him as believers. Jesus talks about it in his Gospels. Paul talks about it. I mean, we could go through all the, the verses. It's all there. Revelation speaks of it for sure. Here's one. Have you ever thought about this? The prodigal son. We love that story, the prodigal son. What happened? Real simple, right? One father, two sons. The one son says to the dad, I want my inheritance. Yeah, good for nothing. I mean, you think of what you might want to think. But the father, better man than me, said, here you go. And he gave him his inheritance. And what did the son do? We all know. What did he do? He split and he squandered. What did he squander? What did he squander? What did he squander? His inheritance. Now, we know the story, right? When, when he'd lost it all, and when your money's gone, your friends go too. That's when you know what kind of friends you really had. It says that he realized the pigs were eating better than he was. And he said, I know what I'll do. And he rehearses it in mind. I'm going to go back and tell my father, you know, my father, I'm, I'm a good, no good for nothing, blah, blah, blah. And as he's coming back, here's the father. He knows what his kid looks like. He knows the kind of gait that he has. He sees him afar off. And he runs. He does the most undignified thing that a, that a mature man would have done in that society. He hikes up his robe and he runs to his son. We love it. We love the picture. The father embraces the son. Principle, what? The son never lost his what? His sonship. He was still the father's son. 
Where's his inheritance? Right. See, it's a principle that we don't often think about. We just think he's restored to his father. Amen, it's wonderful. But because of the choices he made as son, he squandered inheritance. Inheritance is something you and I will have in the kingdom and forever in heaven, or we won't. That's why Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, that we will receive our reward or suffer the loss of what? Not salvation, reward. And there'll be tears shed for that. Revelation 21.4, and he will wipe those tears from our eye. Tears, why? I suppose. Tears of regret, that would be one of the reasons. Is it worth it? It feels like it's okay now. But no, of course it's not worth it. Do we really think eternal regret? Now, you know, the tears will be wiped away, and I'm sure the regret, regret will also at that point because of God's love. But is it worth it? None of us could say that that would have been worth it. So how shall we escape if we neglect? He didn't say reject. If we neglect so great a salvation and all that comes with it. Drifting is the besetting sin of our generation. Drifting is the besetting sin of the church in America. Drifting is my besetting sin. It's your besetting sin. It's the, it's the most, or it's the easiest, besetting sin because we're all drifting together. And all we do kind of is judge one another's drift instead of saying, but wait, there's a rock. I saw there was a rock. Wasn't there a rock on the beach? Where was it? That's mile down. We've all been drifting. We need to get back to the rock, don't we? What does Jesus say to the church in Ephesus? You're cooking. You got everything going for you. You worship in spirit and truth. You read the Bible. You teach the Bible. You got all kinds of things going, but I hold this against you. You left. You didn't lose. You left your first love. Thrill's gone. I hold it against you, he says. Three things. There's a prescription. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Do you remember where you were when you got saved? Do you remember what those early days were like? Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent. Do a 180. And repeat things that you did at the first. It's a simple prescription. And the reason, if there's any reason that it would be hard, it's because we have to swim against the current. We have to get out of the riptide. But if we don't, we'll perish and lose all that inheritance. And it'll never have been worth it. That's why today is the day to get that right. I really believe that there's much about to happen in our society. I really believe with all my heart as I read the Bible and I look at the things happening in our world, there's much that's about to happen. It's not going to be easy for the church. I really believe that we have lived in a time that, that where the church has been the privileged group, but we're not anymore. And we're about to lose whatever that we've ever had. Some of you think I'm nuts. That's okay. You'll see for yourself. And it will not be any easier by any means if we're realizing it because we're out adrift somewhere. It's time to get back to what matters so that our relationship with God, our relationship with the key people in our lives, the relationship with the people in this body, 
where we worship here are good and healthy. And if we do those things, it doesn't mean everything's rosy. It means we'll be better equipped to handle what's ahead. Don't run out of here. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to pray together. And as we sing this song, I want you to, to do business with God. There's not one of us in here, myself first. There's not one of us in here that gets off the hook. We need to get this right. We need to stop the drift. We need to turn. We can't turn the tide, but we can turn our direction in the tide.